Hi, this is Megan Barnett, and today we'll be mapping soluble fiber on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix Special Nutrition Therapy Series, where we're going to dive into the approaches, practices, dietary theories, and healing foods that have been used in the most successful practices across the globe and throughout history. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. The 15-Minute Matrix is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons, which highlight the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition, and that's the functional matrix. The functional nutrition matrix reminds us of three very important factors in clinical care. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Megan Barnett. Megan is the developer and co-founder of Fluorosophy Organic Soluble Fiber Blends and co-owner of BioLounge, a functional medicine and longevity clinic in Portland, Oregon. She holds a BS in dietetics, an MS in functional medicine and human nutrition, and is board certified as a clinical nutrition specialist. Megan works as a functional medicine nutritionist with patients aiming to identify and correct underlying imbalances and infections, and as an educator to providers interested in integrative and precision medicine. Megan has a special interest in the relationship between soluble fiber and health optimization, which propelled her to develop fluorosophy. You'll find more about Megan and fluorosophy in the show notes. Hi, Megan. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. So nice to be here. I'm super excited to talk about fiber, particularly soluble fiber, because it's so important and so often overlooked in our recommendations while we're focused on the removal of all these foods or the introduction of these foods. So can we just start by identifying what soluble fiber is and maybe how it differs from insoluble fiber? Absolutely. Often fiber is recommended by providers. It's generalized to have, a, you know, increase your fiber intake. And the differentiator between insoluble and soluble is valuable because they function so differently in the body. Both versions of fiber are important. But insoluble fiber is what gives the plant its structure. And so I often think about it and describe it to my patients as, you know, if you're going to crunch down on a raw carrot, that insoluble fiber is giving it that crunch, that structure. It does help with our health in some ways. It helps us feel a little more full and it helps to stimulate bowel movements and it bulks up the stool. However, soluble fiber has different qualities and different functions in the body. Soluble fiber becomes viscous. It absorbs water in our gastrointestinal tract. And there's a large variety of viscosity between fibers and that variety of viscosity affects how it works in our body. But when you think about certain things, certain foods that become very gelatinous. That's how I think about viscosity. And mm. because chia pudding is a popular one these days, 
that's a great example. We know that those little chia seeds get kind of gelatinous and that's what's happening with soluble fiber throughout our gastrointestinal tract, generally speaking. And that gelatinous fiber moving through our GI, what does it do for us? In my brain, I really have to think about chewing this, swallowing this, and then all of the little stops along the way because it does have different actions in different parts of our gastrointestinal tract. So when we consume soluble fiber, it does expand in the stomach. So it slows the digestion. It helps us feel more full. And by way of slowing digestion, it allows us to absorb glucose more slowly. So it has a benefit of managing glucose levels in that way where we're not going to absorb it quickly. And so we're not going to get quite as high a blood sugar spike. And then as it moves down into the small intestine, it helps us to digest slowly and absorb our nutrients more effectively. But I think soluble fiber has its superstar status in the small intestine because of a different function. And that function is its ability to bind bile. And then we get into the benefits around soluble fiber and detoxification. So I often say I probably get more excited about bile than any other person on the planet. <laughs> I was just writing about bile. <laughs> I just love it so much. But I think, I think it's this understanding that really helps us harness the power of soluble fiber as a very functional food group. So when the liver is creating bile, it creates bile salts out of cholesterol. And then there are molecules that the liver is trying to get rid of or excrete. and in many situations, it does that by attaching those waste products to bile. So I visualize bile as a garbage truck that is able mm -hmm. to carry trash out of the body. And then the liver sends it to the gallbladder if you have one, and then it is sent into the small intestine. So when that happens and you're consuming soluble fiber, let's say that you've had a bunch of hummus or something, you've had some beans or lentils for lunch, that soluble fiber is going to help to bind that molecule of bile that is holding on to waste. And that waste can be environmental toxins. It can be estrogens. And this is where we get into the women's health aspect of things and many other waste products that the liver has tagged. So when that binding happens between soluble fiber and the bile, it cannot be reabsorbed through the intestinal wall into our bloodstream. So it circumvents the distal small intestine where we do get a lot of reabsorption and moves this compound into the colon and it becomes part of stool. And then we have another action that's happening. You know, we are all fairly focused on the microbiome in the world of functional medicine. And so most of us as providers know that there are some byproducts of our microbial metabolism that can affect detoxification. The one that comes to mind most commonly is beta-glucuronidase, which most of us learned can affect estrogen metabolism. And that is because even in the colon, that beta-glucuronidase can break that estrogen off of the biomolecule and allow it to be reabsorbed and sent back to the liver. So soluble fiber can help to feed the healthy microbes 
and reduce beta-glucuronidase. And that is in the literature. That's not hypothetical. There are different soluble fibers that have been shown to reduce beta-glucuronidase. So we have multiple steps in this process of consuming soluble fiber and watching it travel through the gastrointestinal tract where we have the binding of many things that we are trying to excrete and in some cases cholesterol as well, obviously just by way of the bile salt, but also dietary cholesterol. We have this lovely function of balancing glucose and then we have its ability to help us detoxify endotoxins as well as exotoxins. So we can see a lot of benefit when we increase soluble fiber just in these actions alone. I love the functional thinking. I just want to underscore, of course, you are thinking functionally, Megan, but just for all of our listeners, this place that I like to call symbiosis, where food meets physiology, right? How do we help our bodies to do and function as they are meant to with the food that we're eating and in turn help our clients and patients to do the same? So you mentioned chia, you mentioned garbanzos. What other foods would we be thinking about when we're thinking about increasing soluble fibers? There are a lot of foods that have some component of soluble fiber in them, but when we're thinking about the heavy hitters, we're thinking about beans and lentils. Avocado has a fairly high amount, flax, chia, and whole grains can have a lot of soluble fiber, but in the world of functional medicine, we often see those are omitted for one reason or another, right? In fact, I think we often see beans and lentils are omitted for one reason or another. When we're using nutrition therapeutically, there are times where we're removing entire food groups. And we did an interesting experiment at Fluorosophy where we asked people to write down what they were eating for three days and we analyzed their soluble fiber intake. And we had a few people that were vegan and they were eating very high amounts of the foods that I just mentioned. And they still were not consuming more than I think the average was seven or eight grams of soluble fiber a day wow. in their diet. That was actually took me aback because I assumed when you're getting prime, you know, your primary proteins from beans and lentils and seeds, et cetera, and they weren't omitting grains. They even had grains in their diet. It was surprising to see that. And I think that is in large part because these foods have a lot of mass to them. So there's really only so much you can consume in a day. But as you said, when we're thinking about the physiology and the functionality of our body, I think because today we are hit with so many different toxins from the environment and different impacts that we maybe didn't have to deal with 100 years ago, are the benefits we see from soluble fiber might be even larger today than they were then. And so I'm often asking people to increase soluble fiber in their diet in whatever way we can increase that as well as with supplementation so we can get a bit of an edge on the benefits we're seeing. That's so interesting, Megan. I was going to ask you about our ancestors in general, you know, how they consumed soluble fiber, but it makes so much sense that with the increase in the onslaught of toxins that we're exposed to, that we actually need that boost, that help to do the detoxification and the blood sugar management that our ancestors didn't really need to do in the same way. Do I have that right? Absolutely. And I think we've seen in the literature, there was a much higher diversity of plants being consumed and um, increased quantity just because there was less access to highly caloric foods, you know, 
hundreds of years ago and thousands of years ago. And so when we were more of a hunter-gatherer species, there were diversity in our soluble and insoluble fiber that we don't have today because we tend to eat, many of us eat similar foods over and over. But the increase in toxins, the more highly calorically dense diet that we're consuming now, and then in general, just being a more sedentary population of people, especially in urban areas where you maybe can be in your car more often. I just think we see that the demand has gone up and the access to soluble fiber has gone down at the same time, unfortunately. Yeah, it makes so much sense. I want to talk about the implementation, like how we actually strategically help people to increase their fiber when they're coming from a potentially lower fiber diet. Is there a rate of increase that you recommend or that you work with in your practice? Yes, we go really slowly. And I found early on you know, much like with any supplementation or any change, every body responds very differently. Right. There are different types of soluble fibers that do different things. When I am utilizing fiber clinically, because I do have my own soluble fiber blends, I use different blends for different people and I use different dosages. I actually created a clinical use guide for that reason because what we see is that some people can only start with about an eighth of a teaspoon a day. And these are the people that, you know, you ask them to eat beans and everything goes crazy in their gastrointestinal tract, right? They do not have the ability to break these fibers down at this point. And so what we're doing is we're using these tiny doses of soluble fiber to increase their tolerance for not only a supplement, but for the dietary soluble fiber. And that is what I've seen clinically is that We may start at an eighth of a teaspoon a day and slowly increase by an eighth of a teaspoon each week and find that in a few months, we're able to feed this person a huge diversity of soluble fibers in their diet without any gastrointestinal distress. And that's really what we're going for. On the other hand, I have people that have, you know, extreme IBS and diarrhea, and we are trying to find the root cause of that symptom. And while we're trying to find the root cause, we're utilizing fluorosophy to just improve their symptoms momentarily, right? It's not like we're not saying this is the fix. We're just saying, okay, let's give you a better quality of life. And so in that case, we're potentially dosing somebody at two tablespoons a day right out the gate because they need that absorption, which is an interesting thing about soluble fiber that I didn't speak about, which is that it's adaptive, it's adaptogenic in our colon. So if you Mm. lean towards constipation, it pulls fluid in and helps with the consistency in motility. And if you lean towards diarrhea, it absorbs that water and gives you a more formed stool. So that's a pretty awesome aspect of soluble fiber just in itself, just for quality of life things, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I love how you're using it differently with different people based on their need and their individualization in terms of their tolerance. And we'll be sure to link to your product in the show notes so everybody can go check it out and even learn more about those clinical guides. You mentioned something about fluids when you were talking about the adaptability of the soluble fiber. Is there a way that you talk about increasing water intake or hydration as somebody is increasing their fiber intake? 
That is a great question. And absolutely. So you do not want to see the evil side of soluble fiber, which is when you do not increase your water alongside your soluble fiber, right? The soluble fiber needs something to absorb to do its job. So I typically recommend that you're increasing by 12 ounces for every tablespoon you're consuming of a soluble fiber supplement. This is less important when you're just consuming it in your food because in your food, you're getting water with your food. But in a supplement, this is a dry version of soluble fiber. So you want to add water. But I think the other component to this that I've seen clinically be effective is I often have people also add electrolytes. And that tends to support the movement of water in the actual colon across the large intestinal wall. So I will dose electrolytes at one up to three times a day, depending on their situation in tandem with the water and the soluble fiber for my best outcomes. Are there any contraindications where you would say, you know, not even an eighth of a teaspoon, like we've got to do some repair or I wouldn't bring fiber in for this situation? I think about that a lot. So here's what I'll say. Clinically, I have not seen that. I have not had a problem even in situations with diverticulitis and and ulcerative colitis and Crohn's. We have had success with soluble fiber because it helps the microbiome rebuild the mucosal layer. That said, there are some interesting new research studies coming out showing that if you have hugely dysbiotic situations, that it may be best to start with fermented food, which has its own challenges with some people, but the research is starting to support maybe start with some fermented food to shift the diversity of the microbiome first, and then add in the fiber to get the biggest bang for your buck. Like I said, I haven't seen the need for that clinically, but I also am trying to pay attention to research because we do know everybody is different. And so as a clinician, I always want to be really careful that I'm not doing any harm with intervention. I love it. Yeah. So Megan, this is your shout from the rooftop or from the summit of Mount Hood moment. What do you wish that we all knew about soluble fiber that we're getting all wrong as clinicians? You know, I think I just wish that as clinicians, we understood the differences between insoluble fiber and soluble fiber, and that within the soluble fiber category, we understood the differences between fermentable fibers and then viscosity. Because with that knowledge as a provider, you can tailor the use of soluble fiber for what you're trying to do with more effectiveness. But I will say that the most exciting improvements that I get to see on a regular basis are those with women that have horrible hormone symptoms and fall into that category of estrogen dominance. What I wish we understood and we spoke about more was our ability to really support those women with soluble fiber because the outcomes are just incredible when their body can actually remove estrogens properly. Mm, Beautiful. So well said. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us, Megan. And I'm so pleased to connect with you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. (laughs) 
The 15-Minute Matrix is hosted and produced by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The podcast is edited and mixed by Brian Paik of Pacific Audio, and special thanks to Natalie Merrill, Alia Hale, Pamela Geismar, and Rowan Bradley for their support in making the 15-Minute Matrix possible. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to see the completed functional nutrition matrix that accompanies today's or any episode, be sure to head over to the podcast website. Again, that's 15minutematrix.com. We love when you share our episodes with your friends and colleagues, leave a review and rate the show. That helps us to grow our collective message that functional nutrition is the future of healthcare. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Functional Nutrition Alliance, and you can follow me at Andrea Nakayama. And if you or someone you know is interested in becoming a functional nutrition counselor, head over to fxnutrition.com to learn more about our Full Body Systems program. Full Body Systems is our 10-month immersion course where you'll learn the systems-based approach to addressing the root causes of your clients' issues through client education, diet, and lifestyle modification. Again, you can always learn more at fxnutrition.com.